0: (laughs) (laughs) we had a special one today uh here for everybody and where it went land we are here talking to i say we like the royal we it's just myself today um with pete and chris from verbal assault which not to blow smoke for you guys but to me personally you know if there was a mount rushmore of the the forefathers of like melodic 80s hardcore it would be seven seconds dag nasty gorilla biscuits verbal assault
1: nice so
0: this is this is a, a pleasure and you know i know we're a revelation records centric podcast obviously and we'll definitely touch on that but uh i i didn't get into verbal assault until later on Because you figure, you know, in the 90s, your stuff was probably out of print, like giant records wasn't a thing. And, you know, positive force was long gone and probably wasn't readily available on CD. So it's one of the benefits of the, you know, Internet era where you can kind of go back and fill in some gaps. And man, when I, you know, whenever it was years ago, filled in the the verbal assault gap, I was amped. But um, I guess we're going to we'll kind of work in reverse order you guys i never i would not have pegged verbal assault to be a band that would be playing shows in 2022 um i know you know pete you were on uh friend of the pod dan o's podcast uh might have been before the shows before you played any shows but i guess real quick if you want to talk about the like how this came to be you guys all live in You know different parts of the country now you're in the pacific northwest right
1: yeah i'm in olympia and everyone else is still back in in newport where we all grew up okay newport rhode island um but yeah the genesis i think i've answered this enough that i can do it quick the brian simmons atomic action records lifelong friend of ours from from newport middletown uh was just chiseling away at us to get the records back out for for decades and um and he finally did it and got them all remastered. And so that got us all just talking and uh, you know, talking about artwork and logistics and everything. And um, and then for me, it was the run up to the uh 2020 election. Um, you know, I I had just seen Soul Side, uh, Jawbreaker, Jawbox, and I was at, you know, in the years before that i the seed was planted that like oh all the all the kind of smart interesting bands still sound great and relevant and uh it sort of just planted the seed a tiny bit in my head and then talking about the albums and then all of us being stressed out about the election uh uh it it occurred to me that if i could give my hundred friends back home one night of joy like i had at at the Jawbreaker show or the Soul Side show, uh, I should probably just do that. And so for the first time, it seemed like a, a good idea. And and surprisingly, Chris was sort of in a similar spot. And uh, we said, fuck it, let's do
0: it. So I know, Pete, you did some music after Verbal yeah. Salt. You didn't even talk about it in the uh, before the interview. We we're talking about the all ages uh, reflections on Straight Edge book, which was put out by Revelation which you're interviewed in, and that might've been my first like experience with, you know, cause I read the whole book as a teenager with, you know, the name Verbal Assault, either that, or, you know, tangentially through um, Belly, um, oh, you know, cause, cause I had the, the first Belly record when it came out. Um, but uh, Chris, what about you? Did you do any bands after that? Uh...
2: I did not. Uh, although ironically, I ended up uh, working for Belly, quite a bit. So I started selling teach after I got after I graduated from college, um, that uh, that was right when those guys were getting their uh, stuff together and things were really taking off. So I started selling uh, t shirts for them, and then uh, actually ended up being their tour manager for most of like 94 95, I guess, or actually maybe a little earlier. And, um, and that was really, really fun that's when they opened up for uh, REM in Europe and. Um, oh, you know, and we, yeah went to we went to Japan and Australia, and it was just re- I mean it's funny I when. <clears throat> the Gorman brothers and I talk about it i'll always say that you know hey verbal salt, of course, that was the most important you know experience musical experience of my life, but then getting to go with other, you know, with more good friends and go around the world and ride around the tour bus and stuff like that. I was like, that was the second best thing ever, you know? So, For um, sure. you know, but um, but no, I did not make any music, didn't make any music after, um, after verbal assault. I never really considered myself a musician as much as I look at, Pete and Doug and Dill, those guys are musicians and and especially Doug and Dill. I mean, they just kept playing straight through, you know, that's what they do. Dylan is probably playing somewhere right now as we, you know, speak and same with Doug. Um, And then for me, as far as getting the band back together, again, Pete Pete had the summary pitch perfect. Um, I'd say that the other great thing that Brian Simmons did as well is when we, when i was starting to edge towards it and think like ah, eh, you know maybe maybe it's worth trying um but we were still on the fence and brian had a great suggestion where as pete said <clears throat> uh doug dylan and myself not only do we live in this small town but i can like look out my window right now and you know practically see doug and dills you know look into their kitchens or whatever um so we live you know we all live around the corner from each other so what brian's idea was he said look you guys why don't you find somebody who could play play teach somebody a, a few songs and then jam and with the three of you and that person and see if it feels good. And if it does, then it would make sense to think about try, you know, getting Pete to fly out over here or whatever. So, um, so we did find, um, uh, we found a friend of ours, Ray, who plays with Doug in a reggae band and, um, Taught him a few songs and we went and practice And as we were driving up there, we we're like, Oh, I don't know. This is the butterflies and all in the stomach and all that. And I tell you, man, first like 30 seconds or whatever it's like, All right. Now this is cool. We got to go, you know, get, get Pete on a plane. This is going to work or whatever. So, um, so that, so all of that like kind of came together very, um, uh, very smoothly. And we were really ready to get ourselves to go, but then we but then in a distant wet market in wuhan someone you know uh ate you know uh tucked into that undercooked bat and you know (laughs) the world was and the world wasn't the same for the next two years or whatever i I know
0: i remember you guys had to keep pushing back the shows which you you know i was supposed to play in a band of my own similar situation like do like the reunion thing and um you know then the whatever i don't you know i can't keep track of the variance, the delta variant, whatever was popping and much like you guys we just said you know what this isn't really worth anybody getting exactly ill over and you had to wait but one of the things i find fascinating is in reading the interview with pete from all ages you guys met in middle school
1: chris and i met in like nursery school actually exactly like pre kindergarten greg
0: yep yeah Yeah. (laughs) The,
1: so,
2: we we put the old in old school so we're you know there, so there no, was one, we
1: were... there's a group photo of yeah of me and chris in nursery school and we were like we were buddies like chris was my nursery school buddy he was like the one yep. kid i liked like and that's then,
0: so cool to me you know yeah. like, just to think the the enduring friendship and then you guys are doing this um and you got some shows so i wanted to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the shows and i also wanted to give before i forget a special uh bit of a bow as we say here to tony retman friend of the pod yeah. yep. um he's he's the one that orchestrated this thanks um, tony and also just you know great guy and a great you know archivist i guess we could say for for hardcore punk music um and a writer and uh just an all-around good dude uh so big big uh Bit of bow to him, but
2: absolutely. Thank you, Tony.
0: You have uh, two shows coming up in the end of August, uh, one being in Denver, uh, yeah, Denver,
1: uh, Salt Lake, and Boise.
0: Okay, and the Salt Lake one is I'm super you know, bummed that I won't be able to get there because our friends Insight are playing, yes, and I think that's their first show in quite some time. couple of years at least
1: yeah they i remember they did a reunion maybe right before the pandemic looks like they still all like exercise and stuff too so i'm a little worried about that
0: oh they'll be awesome yeah 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 they'll be be good (laughs) but you guys would be great too but i was thinking too as someone who did vocals in the band this is for chris i see then you have this east coast run five shows in a row what 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 are you going to do to preserve those pipes Because that's tough. Five hardcore shows in a row. Yep.
2: Nope. It is tough. And it's funny. We've been talking about this quite a bit as we've been, um, as we've been practicing and jamming. And for me, it, it sort of the, let's see, how do you approach playing this music now, as opposed to when we we're doing it when we were young and, you know, uh, had lots of energy or whatever. Um, so, uh, some of it is going to be me having to just pace myself. Um, and then, uh, not, um, I'm also the guy who doesn't talk after the shows anymore, which is extremely difficult to do. Um, but, uh, I'm getting better at it. And, um, so it's sort of a mat, it, it's, kind of just approaching the vocals in a slightly different way Um, that I just, uh, it's not that it's not hundred percent just trying to go turn it up to 11. Like I did when I was younger Um, and then kind of, but, you know, still have enough. I feel like a, uh, I was telling kind of feel like a, um, an older pitcher. You know, like uh, for the for the for the Boston Red Sox, there was this great guy, uh, Tim Wakefield, who could throw an awesome knuckle knuckle knuckleball and um, you would see you could kind of tell like the you know how he would kind of pace himself like a few knuckleballs and then there would be a fastball, which wasn't that fast, but they were waiting for the knuckleball so they still missed it or whatever and so. um, so that's kind of what I'm trying. Um uh it hasn't always been super successful so far, so it's been a learning experience and as anyone who has seen the excellent, excellent footage of the um of the great show that we played in Brooklyn at St. Vitus Hall, which is out on YouTube, you know, I kinda threw, you know, I kinda blew shot my wad in Providence and then you know that wasn't you know the Brooklyn thing wasn't too great and then let's see we went out for to the midwest for like four shows and i did pretty well near the yeah. end that was getting a little you know cleveland was a little sketchy so again just trying to um just trying to pace myself realize that you know just like you said that i got five shows in a row or whatever um but on the other hand um you know i've been staying in shape and you know i and i feel pretty good and also finally what's been nice is that we've been able to just the rhythm section and so doug dylan and i have been jamming uh here in town um once a week and that's good that's been really good too. you know so you can
0: find some probably like um like warm-up i i would recommend uh vocal warm-ups i've done them um they help and then you know of course some hot tea with a lemon and uh yep exactly
2: honey. nope been uh been youtube and a lot of um a lot of vocal training stuff just trying to get my um uh you know get a sense of of what that's about so um but it feels good i was that was one of the things that was really um a big question don't you know when we first thought about this is like Hey, can I sing anymore? You know, because it had been, like I said, I hadn't been in a band. It had been 30 years. I'd smoked for 20 of those. You know, I quit smoking about 10 years ago. um But, you know, I, I, I didn't know. I honestly did not know until I got in front of the mic. And when we started to jam, it was like, all right, cool. It's still there. All right, let's do this thing. So, yeah, and then you can kind of
0: learn your limitations a little bit and and know exactly. you know how, how, how much you know to to put into it and still make yep. it successful because I see you have so the shows on the East Coast which people out here are really excited um it gets talked about a lot. you have uh the black Cat in DC legendary place yep. um, September yep. 21st then Thursday the 22nd of September right here in Philadelphia. Uh, at the First Unitarian Church, another, you know, legendary place for for hardcore and punk shows. Um, Then uh, Friday the 23rd in Somerville, Massachusetts at uh, Arts at the Armory. Saturday the 24th in Hamden, Connecticut at the Space Ballroom. And then Sunday the 25th in Middletown, Rhode Island at Rejects Brewery.
2: Hell yeah.
0: Um, And these shows are all with Soulside. Which yeah. I mean, Soulside or you know, Pete mentioned them earlier. They're one of the bands I'll say that really did the reunion thing right. I saw them. Yep, I, I had the pleasure when I uh, my a band I was in called Easy Creatures got to open for them in Philadelphia, oh, nice. and they were fantastic. Sounded great, um, and the, it's you know lyrically still relevant, yep. musically still relevant. I think the same thing about uh, you guys and and a lot of these other bands that, um, I mean, even if you look on the big scale, like there's a reason why those rage against the machine shows are so successful right now, because for better or worse, like it's still relevant. There's still all kinds of problems going on that were going on, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But, um, I guess real quick for Pete, how did you hook up with uh, Bobby Sullivan and, you know, you did Rain Like the Sound of Trains when you were in D.C. I know in the in the book it said you lived there five or six years after yeah. Verbal Assault. Yeah,
1: 88 to 94, I moved to D.C. Um, Bobby and I were just super close friends, uh, you know, through punk. And I was in D.C. a lot. My grandmother actually lived not too far from the Discord house. So I was sneaking down there anytime I could, you know early on in high school, like starting like in like 82, I think I was torturing Ian with visits. Um, uh, yeah. So we were just close. Bobby actually roadied for verbal assault a couple times mm-hmm. on a, like pretty extensive trips. So I remember he was with us in California and Texas. And, um, yep. so we were just close friends. Um, uh, I started running the sound of trains, uh, and it was just a three piece and Bobby was flirting with moving back to D.C. from Boston. And so I I think we all just started campaigning for him to get down there quick and join our band, which he was he was happy to do. Uh, so that was all pretty, pretty easy, natural fit. Um, yeah.
0: And they actually recorded a new LP. I know. yet to be released have you had a chance to to hear any of them it? no it,
1: i've been i've been bugging him because i was like what happened to you? you used to always send me cassette tapes of the new stuff mm-hmm. now they, they're holding on to it tight <laughs> yeah um, i can't
0: i can't personally can't wait to hear it i wish it would be out I by know. the time of of these because they did a seven inch a couple years back that was great it's so good um, it's and, so uh, goddamn good those three songs are insane so bobby if you if you're listening which you know Pete's yeah, your so friend. You should send me, me listening. a
1: fucking send me a cassette.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give, it
1: up. Man Give me it up. a cassette.
0: But I'm I'm so excited because, like I said, that's you guys in Soulside is, and then of course you know Bitter Branches here in Philadelphia, who are a great band, and then Bedmaker, which is Ian. Uh, it's Amanda Mackay, yep. Right. Yeah, they're really I mean, good. What a, what a what a great it's going to be a great time. And also, uh, I think there's another band on here. I apologize. Uh, Wrong War is on. Um, yep dude the they are as well.
1: fucking killer that yes. we just played a bunch of shows in the detroit and chicago shows and uh yep. they they were shockingly good yep. so that's great guys I mean, that's great a, fans
0: that's a stacked set of shows uh yeah for sure so um well let's let's talk a little bit about revelation because you know you, you guys were revelation adjacent yeah you were once late, well yeah you were in the book it was technically on. If you see the book, it's got the little Rev star. Oh, so nice one! It doesn't have a Rev catalog number, but you're in here. But also, you know, youth of today were from Connecticut originally, and both of you had that connection to uh, Seven Seconds. Yep. So, it, um, it was.
1: It was. Yeah. So the the deeper part of it was uh, like I was uh, just ravenous. I would road trip to any any show, New York to Boston, often down to DC. Uh, you know, as soon as I got got the van, which was probably an '84, I think. Um, and and my main like road trip crew was Ray Purcell, Becky Tupper, Jordan, and probably Boofish, and then whoever else we could get. Boofish is a Newport character, um, but the you know so we were. If any of us were traveling north or south, we'd usually pick up the other people, um, and we were just, uh, you know, like, it's super <laughs> enthusiastic little uh, Scooby Doo kind of
0: road crew kind of.
1: <laughs> so thing. you
0: saw you saw a minor threat according to this this interview in the book. Is that correct? Because you might yeah. be the, f- I, I and I could be wrong because we talked to a lot of people. Maybe did Richie ever see them? He strikes me as maybe the only person I would have talked. We would have talked to that would have. I would think she did
1: um yeah i'd i'd put him in the yes column but yeah i saw
0: the, their last show in boston 83 at the channel and were they I, as good as i mean i know the answer were they as good as everybody said yeah
1: but i remember them being kind of i remember they had a very grumpy vibe at that show like uh like it was sort of like perturbed ian like, like something was like a mess or like there was something going on and you could see it. They were just like kind of pissed off and frustrated and they, yeah, the show is fucking mayhem. Um, my main memory besides Minor Threat was drinking uh, what I thought was my Coke, but was Johnny D's spittoon cup, a bunch of the Rhode Island skaters that started uh, eating chew that summer. Oh God! So I took a big, big gulp of his tobacco spit, mm. which was not straight edge. <laughs> no. uh, so that right, I don't and know it was like is... right before they played. I was like, "All right, I'm gonna need am I'm gonna need a fucking some. I'm gonna need to hydrate."
0: I don't know and if so, this takes away my my edge card, but to go back in time and see Minor Threat 1983, I would probably take a sip of yeah, between, an easy trade, uh, yeah, because. Um, you know, obviously for me, that's just the stuff of legend. So Youth of Today, when they first started, you know, you knew, you knew Ray, you knew Porcel. what was like yeah. the vibe and the energy like at that time? Like it had to be super exciting because there weren't really too many bands, you know, when we've talked about it before in here, like even though it was probably 1985, you know, they were kind of harkening back to a style from three or four years before which is hilarious to think yeah. now because they were like three, intentional four years is nothing
1: yeah they the, um yeah i think i think ray was still in violent children when we first started hanging out uh and then they uh, I, I can't remember exactly when youth today started but i i knew them before youth Day today okay um just a little bit and they were kind of figuring it out and formulating it and then I remember clearly hanging outside a Providence show with them and they sort of had like decided on the the path like I, I remember they they were really clear they wanted like a ssd negative effects sounding you know kind of like a no frills uh you know like the music was gonna be no frills you know short fast uh and then they kept mentioning choke as like a like the perfect front man and i was like huh like hmm. we, you know we were already trying to be like a little more like interesting and more like dc influenced or like you could fucking you know aim aim out in different directions and and i remember just thinking it was i was like huh i was just gonna i are just gonna go for like kind of like straight up old boston hardcore
0: sound all right good luck and uh and we well, are. they pulled it off because, like I said, that yep. that first mm-hmm. record is so just yep. raw and pissed and yep. just like a perfect little kind of snapshot of, you know, 1985 uh, hardcore. Yep. So, you know, Kevin Seconds puts out uh, their record, your record. Um, did you guys do a lot of shows with you today? I was trying Um, to find some flyers and i wasn't probably wasn't looking properly enough but
1: yeah we did a we did a bunch um often with seven seconds and also justice league oh yeah the they put uh kevin put out the youth of today verbal assault justice league record right about the same you know the same batch it's probably 80 we recorded in 85 it came out and yeah it came out in 86 because yep. we got that first box at the pressing plant in california oh yeah yep um so yeah the so yeah seven seconds was coming through at you know at least two times a year sometimes it seemed like maybe even three times a year so that was just you know all of us would just glom on and go to all the seven second shows up and down the coast and then uh yeah and then pretty soon we were just playing all the seven second shows with you today i remember playing a a little tour with them up into like buffalo and canada
0: oh yeah remember yep. that that we yep. guelph
1: yep. canada show um mm-hmm. and i think i remember playing in detroit with them because i think they were there for the boom and the legion of doom episode yep. when boom yep. and the legion of doom threw all the meat carcasses at yep seven seconds Because I was hiding behind the amp, trying to turn my amp around so it wouldn't get in the mesh.
0: (laughs) And then, uh, uh, Chris, were you um, a big Seven Seconds fan, obviously? Because I guess, uh, you know, in the interview, it says you guys kind of got into punk. You and Pete got into it together. Were you a big Seven Seconds fan? What was that like to have him, you know, Kevin, who even then would have been like a legend, you know, like because Seven Seconds are, you know, top tier how excited were you as a young kid getting to, you know, have a record on his label?
2: Yeah. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. And I mean, the the other thing too, is that I always say that um, the uh, the tour that they brought us on in 86, 87, that was like, for me, that will always go down as like the big turning point for verbal assault. You know, when they, they, the ability to go and play in front of these you know relatively big crowds every night um with seven seconds who were just such an awesome band and such a great bunch of guys so not only so not only just as an experience was it awesome but that really to me it was that tour that really kind of changed us from you know maybe a good local band that you. That you like to come out and see open for a bigger touring act or whatever. And that's when we really kind of started to come into our own. So, um, I always feel like the verbal salt owes, uh, seven seconds, a huge debt of gratitude yep. that I think the band would have, um, that, that the help that they gave us made whatever came afterwards possible. You yeah. know, or that it certainly wouldn't have turned out the same if they hadn't um if they hadn't been there to to give us a hand. So um so no, it was it was awesome in so many different ways, you know, just as as they were great guys. Um it was totally that like, well, Ian produced our record and Kevin's putting it out. We feel like, yeah. you know, we were on the uh hardcore I mean, you know, private. I genre. I look
0: at the credits on it and I still am like yeah, that's awesome. You know, yeah, yeah. So, we're from fucking so, Newport, Rhode
2: Island. It was like exactly. What? So no, it was um that was that was huge. But again, I can't, I can never emphasize enough how important that that first tour was. Um, I mean, we had done some shorter tours before, but 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 being out with those guys, like when we got back from that tour, we felt like a different. There was definitely in a different phase of the band's existence
0: it kind of like legitimized everything because it's like we just went on a full U.S. tour with arguably one of the, you know, like, I mean, I said one of the forefathers of, of hardcore. Um, and then at that point, gosh, they were, where they had the crew and walked together, rock together. Rock together yep. Yep. I mean, that whole like, and I like the later seven seconds stuff a lot. Honestly, I think Kevin mm-hmm. managed to really just tap into something where to me i enjoy at least parts of their entire catalog mm-hmm. but they were mm-hmm. really on fire that crew walked together new wind Yep.
2: yeah
1: so. yeah they were they were fucking bonkers you know and they they were gone they had they, it seemed like they always had a slightly different lineup every time they came through um you know so it went from like steve steve youth on bass and, and troy you know it changed like on our big tour we had uh bobby and joe bobby's the, still the guitar player joe Mansuelo passed away r.i.p joe he um did. i didn't know that
0: oh are you serious yeah I,
1: sorry chris yeah no yeah words. about two years ago I'm sorry to hear Dan.
0: yeah um was he on any of their records the seven seconds records
1: i think he might have been on Praise, I can't. It gets fuzzy. I I lose track. Someone um, will. Someone listening will. But they let us know. They were always fucking absurdly good, you know. And and Troy was just like, I mean, probably the best hardcore drummer anywhere at the time. Um, and and yeah, they were the island of like, you know, hopeful. Like their shows were hopeful. Like a lot of the shows were pretty fucking gloomy back then, and uh. And their shows were just like, you know, breath of fresh
0: air kind of feeling. Yep. And I felt like verbal assault tapped into that side. Like you said, it wasn't necessarily like choke and negative approach and, you know, uh, not Mm -hmm. two separate entities. I don't want someone going choke wasn't a negative. I know choke (laughs) wasn't a negative (laughs) approach. I'm well aware. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that kind of thing. And you guys went to the more, you know, a little bit more melody seven seconds dc stuff like if somebody told me that you guys were from dc like if i didn't know i'd have been like well yeah it makes, makes sense you know like mm-hmm. um but uh so you know seven seconds for sure is like the you know the ground zero almost for that kind of stuff because you figure even same thing with you know i mentioned gorilla biscuits i'm sure walter would say and he did yeah. say on this you know dag nasty seven seconds like all that stuff kind of played into uh you know what what he was working on a guitar so yeah that early revelation was there ever talk of you guys doing a record with revelation i
1: I figured you'd ask that and i was trying to think and um i honestly i can't remember i mean i was and, and uh i mean i i like even when youth of today and verbal salt like youth of today you know pretty quickly forged their own whole fucking world you know uh like youth of today shows just became you know youth of today shows there weren't they had a whole fucking fan base everywhere they went really quickly um and that happened and we you know we yeah we weren't on revelation we didn't go in that direction totally with them we Sometimes we'd play shows together and we totally clicked, and we're still friends. And um, but yeah, we didn't we didn't go down that that path with them um, fully. Although I often, I remember driving them to a bunch of shows too. Now that I think of it, um, and I was I was hanging out in New York a lot. At, uh, Richie Birkenhead, is one of my best friends, and um, I would just go down and spend weeks at a time. On his floor and just hanging out. And that was when uh, I think Alex Brown had just moved to New York. And uh, yeah, and they were just the revelation was just really active. And I was always around and hanging out, but I can't remember where this question started. What we were talking about? <laughs> well, or, if you guys,
0: because I was thinking about, oh the, were we
1: on revelation? No, yeah,
0: no. and and we were
1: just like kind of comfortably on our own trip, whatever that was, you know we got the offer from giant records which um we took but you know especially when we heard diagnostic and government issue and uniform choice were doing it we were like oh yeah we'll be fucking teamed up with them um that like that that felt like a, a perfect spot for us was um, yeah. you know more so than say revelation um that that it just felt like a.
0: They kind of had a crazy, which we'll talk about a little more in a bit with Giant when we talk about the the trial yeah. a, album. Um, but like they had a pretty crazy roster. Like you mentioned a bunch of yeah. bands. They had Marginal Man had yep. a record on there. Oh, that's um, right. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. You know, a bunch of other stuff. I think didn't Justice League. I believe so. I could be wrong. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Yeah. They did. Right. Yeah. So the
1: yeah the Steve Ricardo the guy that that was running it all uh yeah he had a really clear vision and um yeah he he chased us really enthusiastically and um and uh i'm glad he did i wish the business part of it all worked out better but really wasn't his fault the uh the i mean you probably know the story but trial uh East india just sort of evaporated giant records at some point and left all the bands kind of in limbo as far as like
0: you know and you guys got all... lucky because you were able i mean it took a while but to get this reissued like some of the bands like um i know dag nasty with field day like you yep. they they could do something with it i guess but nothing has yeah. been
1: yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know how to say this on a podcast but maybe we don't want to talk about that too much yeah exactly maybe the uh, legal the legal stuff is still a little yep. fuzzy
2: we'll just edit we can do a little fuzzy part out. um <laughs>
0: yeah yeah Hobby but try uh, it yes. trial
1: yeah. we did successfully put trial back out uh and and we had a we had an agreement with uh we track i tracked barry down the owner of dutch east india and finally got an agreement to buy the rights back and then uh didn't exactly happen just disappeared um but yeah we put it back
0: out anyways yeah I, I mean it's something that i wish it was had been readily available in the 90s you know yeah. who knows and that, and that's where i was going to go was you know in everybody can do monday morning quarterback right like mm. that's you know a whole thing but had trial been on say revelation yeah like who knows you guys would be maybe like you know playing there's big festivals with, you know, Gorilla Biscuits and Judge or whatever, because it would have Rev would have probably kept it in print and stuff. But you know, you don't. That's hindsight. You don't know at the time. And like you said, the the roster at Giant, I wouldn't have been able to say no to that. Like, do you want to be on the label with Government Issue? I think Government Issue did their best stuff on Giant. Oh honestly. yeah, oh, no, yeah. The,
1: U, the U album. It's the yeah. best. That's Fantastic. the best album ever written. Yep.
0: Rest Rest Easy, uh, John Stab as well. Um, yeah, yep. but, uh, you mentioned Richie Pete and, uh, he, in, in the same all ages book, he actually talks about your friendship. Did you become friends with him around the same time as the, the youth of today yep. guys? I mean, I know he, he was in youth of today, obviously, as we know, but you yeah. guys, I mean, he, he's mentioned you in a couple interviews, you mentioned him and have you guys remained, I guess, close all these years.
1: We have. We're so close that we don't even bother talking to each other much. I, I just had dinner, <laughs> like lunch with them when I was in New York last time, and uh, uh, it's like we're so close that we don't even need to catch up. It's like, ah, uh, I, I know you're gonna be the same grumpy old man that I envisioned and he was, as uh, as was I, and uh, um, but yeah, we yeah, Richie became sort of my, just my, I mean, really like a big brother figure, uh, I yeah i remember as soon as i got my van i drove down to new york to to visit him i was all nervous because it was just driving alone with a rand mcnally atlas you know driving to new york city at night convinced like the the van would get like broken into this is like 1984. and i remember pulling up to his place finding it and then i spent like 10 minutes like trying to like pull the radio apart so it looked shitty and I put like stuck a screwdriver into the cassette thing, so it looked like oh, it's it's all broken. Somebody and already got. I this. made this huge production <laughs> of like making it look like like the van didn't need to be broken into. And then the next morning, I came down to look at the van, and I had left both front windows unrolled.
2: Nice. There you go.
1: And uh, yeah. So I had, you know, I spent like ten <laughs> minutes fucking up the stereo, left the windows unrolled, and then uh. I think because of that, no one fucked with the van.
2: I was about to say, it's like the perfect, um, in your face, like, uh, I'm not going to break into
1: this. Somebody's
2: already been in there. Look at it. Been there. The window's down, the screwdrivers already jammed in the.
1: Um, But yeah, Richie, uh, yeah, it's just been a huge part of my life. And um, yeah, I mean, especially then just getting to hang out in New York City for like three weeks at a time with a, really smart, talented, older, opinionated dude. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I learned a lot.
0: He's always Uh, uh, such a a pleasure to to talk to, very smart and just great sense of humor. What was it like the first time you heard Into Another? Because that had to be, I mean, and and were you guys tight enough at that point where maybe he was? Oh yeah, you know, talking about it beforehand, like, hey, I'm going to do this band with Drew from Bold, and it's going to sound like fucking Judas Priest meets, you know, whatever. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I I was I was thrilled, and uh, ran like the Son of Trains played with them pretty often. I, um, yeah,
2: in fact, I believe let's see downstairs at, um, let's see what was the place in Somerville, um not somerville but um middle east downstairs. Yeah. middle east yeah right okay yep so i was there for that
1: oh oh that's right yeah um yeah so we we played with them a lot and and richie would send me cassettes of everything so i saw it all coming i was really proud of him for just getting really fruity on the mic yeah i mean it's, it's just that's what he was meant to do it's yeah. so
0: fantastic. Um, the hard
1: hardcore screaming, that was fine, but not gonna if you have those pipes, you gotta use
0: them. I agree. And um, um, you know, like uh so that whole era too of revelation, before we wrap up the revelation part here. Um, do you do were you familiar, I guess, at that point with some of the other bands that were kind of pushing, you know, for, for Chris too, like pushing that, you know, because around the into another area you had. We uh, mean, we mentioned Insight earlier, Had had Iceburn, which had people from Insight. You had Engine Kid. I really Kid. liked Iceburn. Um, they had a really, you know, we realized even more in doing the podcast, like, a really varied roster. And it mm-hmm. it got varied a lot quicker than I think people think. Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, around, yep. in, in, Iceburn was like, you know, Rev 20-something. Um, yeah. And then Engine Kid uh, who are you know from Pacific Northwest too yep. and we all know you know Greg's gone on to do a lot of really awesome stuff yeah uh Gre- Greg succeeded
1: in every genre of music somehow yeah yeah and like you know uh that was Greg Anderson Chris from uh Brotherhood yeah and uh fuck what false liberty Is that, yeah. was that false
0: word, yeah false first band yeah we played false.
1: the Bremerton roller rink just a, like an hour from where I live now with them in 1986. Okay. You
0: you you, you and Greg were pen pals way back then. All right. Okay. That's so- what I, was, I wanted to ask Chris about. You mentioned in this interview that Chris was a big letter writer, and you guys would get the letters back and then and and I've totally done this too. And you guys would just like reread the responses over and over and pour over them. And some of that's kind of lost now, you know, obviously the way things are. So you had letters from henry rollins back then uh stuff like that
2: yeah the um let's see i can remember uh it was chuck dukowski who would actually write us back and send us a postcard from hamburg one time and that was like and then um let's see when uh and Jello from the dks Wrote us and asked for the uh, for the very first cassette, as to the the masses demo tape, and uh, listened to it and wrote back and wrote a very thoughtful letter or whatever. And you just you thought that you know I came you know running to the house like you know mom it's like you know <laughs> Mick Jagger had, had uh, you know teleported in and you know whatever you know we 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 didn't know we just we were like whoa. Chuck Dukowski wrote us from his mansion or something the SST <laughs> right. you know um you know whatever uh skyscraper so uh no that was huge that was huge and um that so really inspiring and then it also that's what kind of um uh, helped prompt me to say like all right if somebody writes you a letter you got to write them back because um because uh, you remember how rad it felt when you got a letter back, you know? So it was like, okay, so get down there and, you know, and uh, make sure that people get a response, so.
0: Yeah, I think Ian, you know, he was one too, Ian Mackay, he, he would al- always, and he saves everything.
1: God, he'll, he he has like a superpower now where he can, at his fingertips, like we were talking and he like pulled up a journal entry from the day we recorded Learn, Last time I saw him, you know, it's he can just, he can just so cool find anything yeah. like within seconds and like put it in front of your face. And you're like, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. You know, but it's awesome because you. Yeah. you forget stuff over it's, time, you know, like
1: absolutely. Yep. And he, uh, yeah, he, so it, I just happened to catch him in Rhode Island last time I was there. He was in Connecticut and he went to visit Ted Leo and I magically showed up and hogged the visit. But we were talking and then that night he sent me the, at the, his journal entry from the two days when we recorded learn mm-hmm. so this was in like 1985 and i had said that when we were talking i was like oh we went to denny's and i remember you only had a salad and we were like why are you only having salad and it turned into like a you know he was like um i think i'm thinking think i'm becoming vegetarian and staying away from meat and, yep. and chris was like oh we you need protein um, and ian was like motherfucker you did you know he was like he gave chris kind of a talking to and i was like oh shit I guess we have to be vegetarian now, and you know, it was all—it was a—it was a funny moment. But Ian was like, "No, that wasn't Denny's," and I was like,
2: "I'm sure it was." It was Dennis. a Wendy's, a Wendy's. I
1: think you're right. Yeah, or or it was, it was like a red barn, and it was over near the Pentagon. You could see part of the Pentagon, and mm-hmm. so he like pulled up the 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 journal entry, and just from him reading it through, it just like opened these little closed shoe boxes in my brain where he yeah. was like, "Oh yeah, I remember." I was in a I was kind of in a rush cuz I had jury duty the next day and I I would have never remembered that but as soon as he said it I remembered he had to disappear the next day and go to jury duty and then he like you know even had like little notes about the jury duty process and stuff so he has this incredible day-to-day archive you know that he can access quickly and it's it's it really is like a superpower it's fascinating I wish I I wish I kept records of anything. And, yeah, I know,
0: and I know, I know. We Well, Jason, who is, you know, does the pod, he talked about how, you know, he was lucky when he would go into record, he would bring a camera
1: mm-hmm. and
0: took pictures and how people at the time were like, why are you taking all these pictures? And they're kind of annoyed. And it's like now, first yeah. off, now everybody has a camera in their pocket and mm-hmm. they're taking pictures of things that don't need to have pictures taken of, <laughs> but you know, now everybody's thankful that he took those pictures because it's like you know now you Huge. can see oh yeah this is when we yeah. recorded this and this is when so and so came in and did a guest spot on the on the record and, and all that um yeah and then thinking of jello i think he he is another one i think that did that a lot like he would order like i've seen a lot of stories of him just mail ordering records like everything you must have an insane collection yeah.
1: my our friend uh Jason Treger worked at Alternative Tentacles for several years in the '80s, and a lot of his job was just managing Jello's personal, you know, in and out record collection requests and everything. And, and he was he was voracious, you know, every every Finnish hardcore band, every Norwegian hardcore band, every Japanese, you know, like Jello must have a museum.
0: I know. I'd love to. I'd love to see like yeah. the insane collection he must have and and i would have too been tripped out as a teenager getting a letter from you know jello from dead Kennedys. Yeah. it's just mm-hmm, friggin wild yeah um so oh, can I, let me say one yeah. more thing about the mail thing
1: yeah I th- please i think it was chris was chris took over all the mail he was a pretty maniacal letter answerer and writer and it occurred to me just when uh we were talking about greg anderson know those early connections when you had the pen pal on the other side like i'm pretty sure greg anderson set that bremerton show up for us um and uh those connections seem to always kind of become important um the the first european tour we did which was in uh the spring of 88 Yep. which for for european punk bands you know going i mean american bands going to europe that like we snuck in pretty early there weren't a ton of bands before us um I think like you know like government issue scream black flag had done it a bunch but we we sort of cut in line and uh it was just kind of classic verbal assault luck uh blast canceled their tour and i magically called like that day to the German promoter, Dolph, and was like, hey, uh, you know, got your number. Just want to see if there's any way Verbal Salt could do a tour. He's like, well, blast just kind of canceled. But he didn't, Dolph didn't really know us. Uh, He kind of had to check us out and study us and kind of begrudgingly went along with it. So we snuck onto that. But the main, I think the main reason that it happened was that uh, the tour was going to be with Negazione, the Italian hardcore band that Chris was already super pen right. pals with. sure. So I think that was like kind of the, th- you know, the thing that pushed it, pushed it into the, you know, into happening. Interesting. Um, yeah. So there was always yeah. like, okay. like that it always seemed to kind of just pay off, you know, in these weird, weird little ways down the road. It was, it was kind of fascinating.
0: See, so it does answer the letters, yep. make the pen pals, build the community. I mean, there's yep. so many stories about it. And, uh, and yeah, it looked like, and then you got someone like a Greg Anderson that's booking in Bremerton, Washington. And, you know, you guys yeah. probably, you know, I don't know if you still correspond to this day, even just through email or social media, but like all those years later, it's pretty, pretty cool. I wanted to ask real quick, too, with the Revelation stuff and hardcore, um, we mentioned, you know, Chris had mentioned Belly. Any, uh, we know the hardcore connection obviously with the the Gormans. Do you have any stories like uh, Tanya Donnelly listening to, uh, you know, Youth of Today to get amped up for a belly show or something crazy like that? That's
2: funny that you mentioned that, Greg, because just a couple of weeks ago. This we were hard. um let's see, I uh this is a nice little story. So I send um it was Tanya's birthday, so I sent her a quick email and said, Hey, you know, happy birthday, things are moving along here. She writes back and says I, I have this great story to tell you guys that I completely spaced it and should have told you about a month ago. So she's living uh she and her family live up in um up in Boston now, and she her daughter hey Haiti is um I don't know how old 12 maybe whatever um so she has a history te- uh a history teacher uh named patrick that uh mr flynn that she really really liked okay you see where this is going and uh last day of school um mr flynn comes up to Hattie and says you know i'm a big fan of your mom's music and i got into it because of um Uh, because the Gorman brothers used to play in this other band that I really, really liked called Verbal Assault. And, um, and I'm in my own band called Fiddlehead. And, uh, and anyway, I just wanted to let you know how much, uh, you know, enjoyed, you know, enjoyed uh, mom's music or whatever. And so, um, and so that was really really cool so not only is it the typical New England oh you know blah 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 live down the street from me or whatever to you know now now we're getting old enough so that it's. The kids are kids teachers are in the bands that you, you see, or whatever, And my final point being that I thought it was a total class act that he waited till the last day of school drop yes. all this stuff on time that's it's, pat
0: though i personally know pat and he's, he's oh, okay is Yep, he's a yeah. class act for sure yep.
2: so that was yeah. so that was uh really really uh cool in every way so there's you you
0: want stories ripped from today's headlines there you go right you know it's uh, <laughs> pretty good yeah because i remembered finding out that connection and kind of like blew my mind because you know i i had gotten the belly star CD like when it came out I was Mm -hmm. I was 12 I was probably you know in 1993 and you know just because it was an alternative you know I was into alternative Mm -hmm. music and it was on and then finding later on that like those guys played in verbal assault was uh, pretty cool and then they did actually get a bass player who used to like she wore like X's on her hands and stuff Uh, that was uh, Gail yeah yeah
2: Gail and so yeah she played for a couple of sort of Punk rocky bands like the Dames, and um, uh, but th- th- <clears throat> we um, one of the things that I often talk about when um, people ask us about like how did how did the band end up sounding like the band did, and one of the things I always say is that um, it, we really benefited from geography, I think, and the fact that we a grew up in a, a small town but that was in New England so that it was easy to get to Boston, New York, DC and see lots of other band, other bands and other scenes but yet we weren't really living in any of those cities and then the other thing too is the fact that Newport was so small is that all if you were into any kind of different music You ended up hanging out together anyway because you were. I used to joke that, you know, we'd all get picked on together, you know, at in high school, you know, like after school, the punk rock faggots would get beat up right next to the art rock faggots. And then as we're picking up our lunch boxes, it would say, Oh, my name's Chris. I sing for a hardcore band. And, you know, my name's Tanya or, you know, I'm Chris and Hirsch. I'm in this other band called Throwing Muses or whatever. And the fact that we all kind of hung out together a lot there was a lot of good sort of cross pollination or whatever. And I think that if there is a, cause I think Newport has a surprisingly robust uh, musical history. And um, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, is that we were all kind of friends. And, and even though we had our, you know, different scenes and the, the bands were definitely doing um, different things, that uh, the fact that we were all together and listening to each other's music, I think definitely helped sort of uh, Mm -hmm. expand musical horizons, you know, so um, and then and actually I can even remember on the that first European tour that um, Pete mentioned in 88 we were a couple of weeks behind the muses and the pixies Mm -hmm. touring together. Or whatever so they would leave us uh, messages in the in the dressing room i can remember the first first place we played or second place we played in in holland in eindhoven mm-hmm. um there was a it was like hey there's a message from those guys or whatever but not only that can you imagine getting to see the uh, pixie
0: muses tour man that must have been. i know especially yeah. like that was like surfer rosa yeah it was like, you
2: know so both yeah. of them because they were let's see muses probably like house tornado at that point and then yeah the pixies were like that's when they were really you know starting to reach their thing or whatever and um so there's a there's another there's another tour i wish i'd see, you know wish i had seen um but you know whatever so um but yeah i think that's you know having um Uh, having all sorts of different bands kind of all pushed together in one small town definitely made a difference sure
1: yeah and they Mm -hmm. sent the throwing muses sent us to that studio for trial actually that was their idea oh
2: yeah oh right okay there you go i think it was the
1: same engineer really Uh, no kidding yeah that was that's yeah another one of those weird little magical recommendations
2: exactly and so then because then that studio eventually became ford apache studios which is where belly's management was out of and not only that but radiohead went and recorded pablo honey there Hmm. specifically because the pixies had recorded there and then that's how belly and radiohead got together and did their tour in 93 i guess or whatever Pablo.
0: yeah because they toured they were both on their on their debuts Apache yep. apache's also where dinosaur junior did some stuff right yep. uh, exactly. because yep. on mojack you don't know mojack which i think i talked about off air with you guys um you know a huge inspiration to to our pod they did uh, an episode with uh, paul coldery is that i say his okay name? yep, yep. Um, and he talked a little bit about you know radiohead and, and all that so that's Yep. Pretty- that's pretty cool no, that for sure.
2: that was yeah that was and that all the touring that i did with belly was was wonderful but boy i tell you we because that at that point you just knew radiohead for "Creep," which is a great song or whatever but um no idea what these guys were about what they were doing or whatever and you know maybe tom wasn't the most um outgoing individual or whatever but all the rest of those guys were just so cool and so nice and and just so interesting and so it was a real real pleasure to be able to like to see those guys at the time and like Ed the guitar player came to Newport it, you know, like again this is back when those guys would get done touring Ed would just jump on a bus and go around the states or whatever and so he came to Newport or whatever we all would, had a beer at the local place and they were just really, really interesting guys. And, and when you saw what they ended up doing, it was like, Alright, cool, that makes sense. You know, and, yeah. and again, I'm glad that I had a chance to, uh, to, to, to kind of see it as it was uh, percolating up.
0: And like you said, I don't think anybody, uh, by the way, you're listening to where it went podcast where we exclusively talk about Radiohead um yeah exactly but, but, uh, exactly but, uh, like i don't think anybody could have known you know 93 that they would become what they became because mm-hmm. i actually remember when someone a friend of mine was telling me to listen to the band <clears throat> to the bends when it came out yeah i was like that one hit wonder band like creep was cool but like and then i hear it and i'm like oh shit this is incredible and yeah then, you yep know, where they went from there was even more uh, mind-blowing but really yep. look like it's it's nuts how these you know all the roads kind of yep kind of connect and and really so many I've said this before but so many bands that are huge and part of you know mainstream culture have their roots you know in punk and hardcore I mean yep. and and the you know that whole sense of community and and stuff so I think what we're going to do now is we're going to we're going to wrap up this part. Uh, remind everybody go to the shows. Uh, the shows check check, check the uh, check the verbal assault socials atomic action uh, socials get the dates get the links for tickets. Um, I'll be in Philly, like I said. So come say hi uh, if you're listening and you're coming to Philly and we've never met before. You I'll be easy to find. Um, but for patrons, we're going to do a quick, I always call myself like a little prop comic. I have my records and we're going to go through the verbal assault catalog. um, And you'll be able to listen if you go to whereitwentpodcast.com, hit that Patreon button. We have all kinds of extra goodies um, and things for patrons. So until then, everybody take care. Go see verbal assault and soul side later
1: and verbal Salt h2o and be well on a freaking oh, we'll boat keep, in, around I, new york city I september would be
0: 16th this will still be go see that be well we what love the hell? brian i know we love brian mcternan and uh you know aaron dahlbeck and and mike Schleibom and all the all the be well guys um so go to that for sure toby's been on the show before uh, talking about Gorilla Biscuits, so we're all just one big happy family in in hardcore. So go, in the words of H two O, go. <laughs> so.